All right, guys. Hey, it is episode five of the We Make Supplements podcast. As you know, I have my co-host, Sean Marzalek, here with us. How you doing, Encore, today? I'm doing good, man. Great. Do we great. have any special guests today? We have one special guest that's oh, never been on the podcast You got to introduce him. Yeah, well, let me let me welcome uh, Joe Shulo to the podcast. He's our chief operating officer here at SDC Nutrition. Thanks, guys. Happy Cute. to be here. Love, loves being on camera. <laughs> <laughs> Cue the cheers in the background, right? Yeah, don't look for me on social media. I don't have much. <laughs> You're on LinkedIn. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, We're on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.com slash company slash SDC Nutrition. <laughs> LinkedIn adds so many words for no reason. So how's everyone doing today? Good, doing man. Good. You guys are good? Yeah. All right, so I think people need to understand who Joe is, where Joe came from. I remember Joe with really long hair, but right now he's got this you know cute faux hawk thing going on. <laughs> so, uh, Sean, why don't you tell us a little bit about where Joe came from and how you guys came to work together? Yeah, so when I first met Joe, he was working for another supplement manufacturer, uh, and we were just kind of, you know, both both companies were based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So we had access to each other. And so we were meeting. They were checking out our facility. We were looking at their facility, just kind of, you know, sharing industry knowledge and, you know, kind of picking each other's brains about stuff. And uh, and at the time, I remember meeting Joe. I was like, man, that, that guy's bright. Um, wonder how I could get him to come work at SDC. You know, and okay. so that was like the first few exchanges that, that Joe and I had. And he was doing he was wearing a lot of hats uh, at the other at the other place. Um, but I had some specific stuff that I thought he would could really do well for, for SDC. Uh, but we stayed in touch over the couple of years as, as our companies kind of did some business together. So, Joe, why don't you tell us about your history in the industry? And just remember, the whole goal of this podcast is to kind of shed some light and create transparency on things that are going on. Uh, sure. I started out in the supplement industry um, with a company. Yeah, yeah, you can say anything you want, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, a company called ATF Fitness Products. Um, and um, What year was that, Joe? That was in 2004. Okay, wow. 2004, 2005. Listen, guys, if Joe Diaz could talk about cocaine and strippers, <laughs> okay, you could talk about any company you want to. Yeah. We're good. I, I don't know. I just didn't want to call anybody out, you know, but... <laughs> Um, yeah, I was in I was in sort of a, an interesting role there. I, I guess I started out in sales, and then um, it, the place is in such disarray. And I have a tech background, um, uh, and I owned my own business at the time, so I couldn't help myself but to try to like improve things, you know, uh, just to help everybody, you know. Um, and uh, sales wasn't really my forte, you know, but I, I had sort of a business relationship with the guy that owned the company, and um, I just stayed there for a few years um, until eventually. A couple other guys, we all got our heads together and started uh, Reaction Nutrition. Okay. I remember working with Reaction. <clears throat> you guys were actually the ones who introduced me to SDC. Did you know that? I didn't know that, no. Yeah, because, uh, you know, I begged Frank, like, hey, I need some powders. I right. need some protein. Because we don't do that here. But you guys should meet Sean over right. at SDC. And I was like, okay, cool. It's, it's crazy how the whole yeah. world turns and just kind of puts everyone together at the end of the day. So, Joe, <clears throat> there's some really cool stuff that happens here at SDC, right? It's all centered around the the whole process of the intake of raws, you know, the way that we test those raws, the way that those raws, they get put into products. We had Dan Wiltrout on one of these episodes. Just, just and to clarify, Encore, when you say raws, raw materials. Raw for, materials, yeah. yeah, not raw meats or anything <laughs> like that, you know. <laughs> But uh, some in the microwave, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but the way that we build a product, Dan kind of gave us some insight on some things that happen with formulation. But on the actual operational end, how do we 
take products that come in a raw format, right? Powder, uh, unflavored, and different ingredients, and put them together into a finished product. Can you give us some information about how that works? Sure. Um, so typically, you know, we work with a lot of different customers. They'll either provide a, a formula, but most of the time, we're we're sort of using our you know, our data and our, our experience to develop something for them that works. It's Wait, hold up, hold up. Let, let's start with something real fun. What are user issues down the road? Well, you never know. If somebody's not storing something in the right, um, the way it should be stored. So you mean when like pre-workout gets shipped overseas and comes out like concrete hard? Exactly like that. Okay. That is exactly what I'm talking what about. What other stuff goes wrong with, with products and storage? Um, moisture. Um, you know, it can, it can get kind of slimy. Uh-oh. No one wants slimy protein. That's yeah. just disgusting. Um, you know, things, just general things like that. Uh, you know, or just, or or, or if uh, you know somebody has an ingredient, they think that uh, the end user wants, and they put way too much of something like that in because they think that you know most people are going to want something like that. But we, oh, you're saying that normal people can't handle a full scoop right. of pump ingredients right. in their pre-workout? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> things like that. You should have heard Dan giving us the niacin story, where this man took multiple grams, grams of niacin. Oh, did Dan yeah. tell you his own oh, personal the infamous experience. story is there? <laughs> Uh, so wow. how how do you take your experience to fight those common issues? You know what? I'm I'm not really in sales, so fortunately, I don't have to do much of that. That's okay. that's, that's more of a Dan Wiltrout, Sean Marzalek t- type of uh, defense. But um, for for us, you know, we 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 just worry about making the product to spec. So uh, my biggest concern is um, taking a look at the product's formula, its its bill of materials, and sort of trying to use experience to predict if whether a mistake was made or not you know if uh did they really want this lid did they really want this bottle did they really want this type of ingredient the branded ingredient um wait so you're telling me that customers don't read the spec sheet before they sign it sometimes i'm not saying that i just like to be you know okay i'm gonna go ahead and say that there's times (laughs) where customers are not reading the spec sheet i've done it myself right Right. i just sign off on this thing like get this thing out the door i need it right but like you know, sometimes they don't even realize that it's the, the wrong the lid details. color. Yeah, I, yeah. you just you it suck, right? If you went to production and they, all of a sudden you have these white lids on a black bottle, and you're like, how did this happen? Yeah, it's well, like, well, it, it happened because yeah. you signed the sheet. It happens more often than we'd like, you know, and 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 you know, then it becomes like the customer is always right. Of course, we know that, and um, you know, we, we want to respect that. So it's kind of our job to protect them from. You know, everybody in this industry, it's, it's, a, it's a fast and hard industry. You know, you, it's very easy to get a, a product to, to market quickly. So a lot of times the details are not as uh, taken as seriously as they should be or they're overlooked. You know, we try to get spec sheets uh, out for proofing and review to protect everybody involved, you know. But uh, mistakes do happen. Things are overlooked. So we just try to never take anything, you know, as as gospel, so to speak, we try to like just sanity check things every step of the way to make sure we can triple, quadruple check to save us all from rework, you know, and or a customer being un- unhappy. So, Sean, I know we we speak we speak about this all the time, right? I've been around to pretty much all the different manufacturers around the country, and I know that there's certain things that make SEC really special. And one of the things that always impressed me is like I'd walk into a facility and I'd be like. I don't even know how these guys know what they're measuring to put into my product or whether it's the right ingredient or not. And, you know, I saw that you guys have a system of like these QR codes where you're scanning everything in, out. Now, who created that system? 
Uh, Joe actually created that system, Joe. so he could he could speak on it more than a I man can. of many yeah. talents. <laughs> but I mean, you know, from a standpoint of bringing raw materials in, identity testing them, checking them for water activity as the raw materials are coming in, um, and then on the outgoing uh, finished products, we're also providing heavy metal testing uh, as well as microbiology testing. Uh, for the finished product. Now we can do a bunch of other testing at the customer's request, but those are the things that we do without even the customer asking for it. Uh, but being able to make sure when that raw material comes in, uh, to first identify that raw material and then make sure there's no water uh, activity going on with that raw material is the first step. But then after that, between there and blending and bottling, there's a lot of times where that material is handled. Uh, by employees and whether it's quality technicians or warehouse workers uh, and so Joe's been able to develop a system with this uh, IT background that can trace that raw material everywhere it goes in our facility and then also that technology allows him to be able to see or the technician to see when they're picking ingredients for a blend uh, that if that doesn't meet up, that raw material doesn't match up with the batch record, then the system won't allow them to pick that raw material. So, you know, I'll let him talk a little bit more about his thought process on why he put that in place. But from uh, a regulatory standpoint and from a standpoint of knowing that mistakes are being minimized in our facility, I'm extremely happy with it. Well, rather than letting Joe talk about the system, because I think you did a really good job of explaining yeah, it. Yeah, he explained it pretty well. Okay, I want Joe to tell me, you know, <laughs> what happens when things go wrong? Like, what happens when an ingredient doesn't pass quality inspection? What happens when, you know, an employee scans the QR code and is like, oh, this is wrong, but it's, like, already gotten a couple steps down the road? Well, actually, that's what, what stops it. It's done. Um, the, they use this uh, mobile app at the stage where they can correct hold it. Hold up, hold up. You have a mobile app that, in yeah, the back? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, it's a mobile app. Okay. That, so they can scan uh, the pick list or the batch production record. And it brings up all of the uh, required ingredients components uh, to complete this job. From there, they just simply tap the item ingredient component, and um, they scan the actual box that they they think is the correct unit component, whatever, and it automatically matches codes. and just makes it very visual for them. If it's green, it's good to go, and, and it logs it to the database lot number and everything, so it's traceable. Oh, so it's impossible for it to be wrong. Yeah, I mean, it's it's red or green. It makes it you know idiot-proof, which is really nice, and it's again, it's done at the picking stage, so if it's red, it's not a big deal at all. They just, oh, I missed it. There's a, a very slight nuance difference in the code, or maybe it was a a 10% specification instead of a 20 or something like that that the that the the warehouse technician might have overlooked had he not had the you know technology to, to help him prevent help helps eliminate uh, human error yep yeah yeah and it logs okay. everything too to the database so we can then simply query on things to um, see where the every lot of every raw material went throughout the facility instead of having to do a manual paper search on a, for an FDA audit or, God forbid, there is a recall or something like that, we can quickly do tra lot traceability. So what happens when ingredients don't get approved? When they don't get approved. So right. that, that's even earlier in the phase. So, like, we receive, you know, a, an order of any raw material, and before it's even placed into general population in the warehouse, it's identified with our internal sticker that, immediately puts it on, on QC hold uh, or quarantine. From there, uh, the receiving technician will, will take a sample of the raw material. They take it to the lab. They do 100% identity uh, investigation on it with uh, spectrometers. We have a near and a mid here. Um, and once it's approved and against the model to be, in fact, definitely what it is, 
Um, they do also a visual inspection of the of the of the material that we inspect the truck even before we even take it off the truck to make sure it was shipped here in, in sanitary conditions. And uh, once all of those things are matched and it's guaranteed to be what it is, we can then mark it as approved, on, re-sticker it so it is approved, and bring it to the general population on the warehouse and put it into its home bin location. I always feel like clients don't understand, because uh, I, I didn't understand, right, what happens when something is just wrong. Because I know the, the sales guy tells I'll, me... I'll tell you what happens. Well, well, it's, it's, well let me, let me okay, expand yeah. the question a little bit, right? So like, the sales guy tells me it's going to be 8 to 12 weeks before I get my product, yeah. right? But then I get a phone call saying, you know, the truck broke down in Missouri and didn't make it to the East Coast. or didn't make it to the West Coast facility. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, or, or um, I mean, I swear, there's one time where product came uh, for shreds, right? And the truck showed up at our warehouse and the truck had radioactive material. Or some, there's like a big sticker that says may contain radioactive material. <laughs> we're like, uh, we're not accepting this. Right. Sorry. That's <laughs> like, why you have to like, inspect the this truck. isn't going to work. But uh, most people don't understand that when you say eight to 12 weeks, that's like best case scenario, right? Everything fl- flowed properly. The ingredients showed up on time. But like, as the first line of defense, the manufacturer sees these raws, figures out when something goes wrong. But what are the things that can go wrong? I think that's what most people don't understand. Yeah. And when they do go wrong, what do we do as a manufacturer to, to correct it? I mean, it could be something as simple as a flavor comes in. I mean, I know we've dealt with this over the years. The one example that's jumping in my mind is blueberry flavoring. Yeah. For some reason, oh, natural gosh. blueberry flavoring, the same flavor house, same flavor, and it'll come in randomly with just a little bit of a different taste. Still tastes like blueberry, just might, when you put it in the finished product, tastes different. Um, so yeah, Sometimes it's very floral. Like yeah, these are natural type. flavors that mm-hmm. are being made, right? Yeah. So sometimes, you know, you get a flavor in that took four-week lead time to get it, and now you go to make a bench sample to make sure that when you put it in the blender, it's going to come out and taste as we expect and the customer expects, and all of a sudden it's not coming out. It's not tasting the way it should, right? So now we have to do an investigation, figure out why. We trace it back to that flavor. Then we've got to order more flavor, right? Now the, now the flavor house or the supplier is telling us, hey, yeah, we can remake that flavor. It's probably four to six weeks. Uh, we might be able to rush this for you in three to four weeks. Uh, so that's when the difficult conversations of us going back to a customer and trying to explain, hey, here's what happened. Here's why this is late. But that's just one example. I mean, we do that all day, every day. I mean, manufacturing is basically a supply chain business. Oh, I mean, yeah. that's all we're doing is managing, you know, hundreds of pieces of supply chain every single day. And they always go wrong. And it's our job to, like, make sure we mitigate how many things go wrong in that supply chain uh, so we can deliver on time. So what can a client do to be a better partner to help understand all that that goes on that could go wrong? I, you know, for my experience is always like, okay, you got to stage your POs across the entire calendar year, right? Because it's always easy to move something back, right? But it's very hard to move something up. Yeah. Right. That was the way that Dan Wilchard always explained it to me back at Reaction. But how does that work um, from a client perspective? What are other things a client can do? I mean, okay, blueberry is an ingredient that could commonly uh, change, right? Because, I mean, if you go to a grocery store, you're not going to get the same tasting blueberry every time. Right. Yeah. Right. So some, some clients could be cognizant of that. But what yeah. else can a client do? No, that's a good point. I think, I think um, what you just said is being cognizant of the fact that if you have naturally flavored materials, you know, in your product, you have to be aware that hell, it's natural. You know, it's it, there's times when it tastes different. You know, so you have to be sort of able to have sort of a a range of acceptability. It's not going to be perfect every time. It's not that you know. It's not 
artificial. Mostly when you're dealing with botanicals and natural yeah. flavors and stuff like that. Yeah. They have different variations in colors and stuff. So to have, have flexibility and be able to speak with your manufacturer as a brand owner and, and understand that in this case, you're, you're building a natural product or a product that has a lot of natural botanicals in it and being, making sure you have, or you want to have the flexibility of those color variations that maybe a red beet powder presents or a flavor variation that something like that, uh, presents. You put it on your label. About. Yeah. As simple as that. Like, Hey, this is a, a natural product. So expect it to be natural variation. You know, as sad as it is from my seat, I feel like most manufacturers don't do a good job of explaining that to a customer. I mean, I think we all could, even even yeah. SDC, right? I, I've realized over the years that these are the stuff we're talking about right now is, to your point, these should be on the forefront of discussions with customers, Absolutely. right? I think you brought up a good point, too. Uh, we're dealing with a lot of, you know, an industry that's growing rapidly, right? And we have a lot of customers that are growing rapidly. And just like every other business, everyone's managing cash flow, right? And so as people want to do just-in-time inventory, the other thing that I think would be really helpful for manufacturers like us and our customers to continuously talk about is their inventory needs, you know, because everyone wants to be like, hey, this was due on the, the 2nd of March. Uh, I ran out of inventory on March 1st, you know, and we, we have our own brands, right? And there's times where we don't time something that sells a lot better than it should have and it runs out. Internally, we still have to run the same process of sourcing raw materials, getting it into the production schedule. It's not as like, well, this is our brand. Let's just make it tomorrow. There's still that whole process that needs to happen. Uh, so I think having communication with the customer as well, making sure which what we're trying to do here is they understand that process so they know that, hey, this is this is what to expect, but there's going to be a lot of things that happen in the supply chain that go wrong between your purchase order and your delivery date. Well, we got to communicate on what's going on and why and then help them plan better for their inventory as well. Yeah, I think inventory forecasting is, is a, one of the best things. Having really good inventory forecasting is the best thing that the customer can do to help protect itself. And then understanding it's manufacturers lead times and in the lead times of the manufacturer's supply chain as well are, are good questions to ask like hey what's my slowest piece to my puzzle you know and understand that and you know oftentimes it's the flavor system could be the bottle do you have anything custom in your in your product if it's custom then there's a minimum order quantity sometimes that the manufacturer might not be using a lot of so it's it might not be you know in their wheelhouse to to run a certain thing or a certain bottle and understand those things ask those questions so that they can be a better supplier for you to carry enough of that inventory and, and be upfront with those things that's awesome okay so i think we just shed some light on on a pretty important topic but because we have joe here i got some questions that i know that i didn't even know that this stuff happened until i got to stc and i really started getting involved in the production side of stuff there's a different amount of blend time for different formulas. I feel like no one knows that. I mean, I didn't know that. As a customer, I didn't know that certain like whey protein is going to take a certain amount of blend time. But then if you're doing a pre-workout, it's a totally different blend time. Well, a lot of that has to do with the blender itself, not necessarily the formula. Unless there's like there, – uh, sometimes there's, there's ingredients that require pre-processing. Uh, sometimes you have to like mix – certain ingredients to process a, a material to dry it out better so that it prevents clumping and then you add the other ingredients some things have to go in first some things have to go in last and spun for certain times it's on, like on the capsule side you really want to throw your excipients in last 
um, and only spin them for a certain amount of time. Ooh, wait, you just used the word excipient. Right. Well, what is that? They're, they're rather uh, innocuous materials that sort of help fill the capsule or help it flow through a high-speed machine. A lot of these materials um, could be very water-loving, hygroscopic, you know, and, and, and if, you don't, if you don't pre-process them or put the right excipient to dry them out or help them flow, um, you're never going to have a shot at running it through a high-speed machine. All right, I need to hear your opinion on this. So there's all these people out in the world that think that excipients or extra ingredients are bad. Yeah, I, I know. Mean, but what's your, what's, your, what's your opinion <laughs> on those? Because I know you take care of your body as like a, a pure temple, right? So, I mean, obviously I can understand dyes and how people feel about dyes mm-hmm. and like a pre-workout. Yep. I understand how some people will feel about, um, you know, bovine capsules versus uh, pork-based capsules and so on and so forth, like vegan capsules. Sure. But where do you stand on the concept of excipients for, for products? I mean, do you feel like it changes the efficacy of a product? Do you think that it's just like one of those things where people are just afraid of something that they don't understand? I think it's a lot of those things. I think, um, I think you know... Prior to, if you look, if you rewind the clock before FDA mandate of CFR, one of the things that frustrate me the most is like from time to time I'll meet people out and I'll hear, what do you do? You know, the, the, you, the, the normal platitudes you meet when you meet with someone and you exchange, what do you do? What do you do? And I tell them and they're like, oh, God, that industry is not regulated. And I just, it's just like, I don't even want to deal with the conversation. It's, it's like, you have no idea how regulated it is. It's like, I want to carry a batch production record around with me just to like give it to them. So it's like these now tell me it's not regulated. This is ridiculous what we have to go through. Right. It's it's similar, almost identical to pharma, you know. So I think if you rewind the clock and you look at how things used to be, I could understand why excipients might have a bad name because who knows what people were putting in there. And if it did, if it did ruin the efficacy of the product, like if you put way too much. Uh, silicon dioxide or magnesium stearate that's like an oil you know you can basically coat the product and it essentially turns into a laxative pill you know mm. something like that you know and, and this goes back to your spinning question and wh- how long you spin it you can't put more than like a, a certain percentage of a certain excipient into the product and and if people just were lazy and they didn't do the r&d on how to run a capsule especially in capsules It'll run great through the machine, but you've destroyed the efficacy of the product by putting too much of a, of a bad excipient in there. So for the most part, these things are innocuous ingredients, but they might ruin the product because people didn't do it the right way. And that's one of the things we do here is we pride ourselves on, on making sure we do it the right way so that it doesn't mess up the product. And all it does is aid the material through the machine so it can then meet your lead times so and we can get it done fast enough. You know, I, I mean, we recently had a customer... Um, that uh, <clears throat> is having a hard time with their manu- w- with their current manufacturer. They do a bunch of capsules, and um, they they have an all natural line. They don't want any excipients, and they're having a hell of a time finding a manufacturer to scale with them. Well, it's because they're not using any excipients, and they probably can't get anybody to run them fast enough. Yeah. So you know we it, we're not against doing it, but I think it just comes back to managing expectations and 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 understanding. If you're a customer, understanding the limits uh, of, of what your product and what your formula can and can't do, how it performs in, in, in the high-speed machinery and manufacturing so that you understand why a manufacturer is having problems. You know? mm-hmm. And maybe you can try to find some natural excipient alternatives. You know? And we're, we're finding those. We're, we're, we're finding different excipients that are more acceptable in the natural market out there. That's awesome. I mean, thanks for being on the show today, Joe. We really appreciate your insight and you know, everything that you're helping shed light on. Of course. 
Happy to be here. Yeah, no, I appreciate Joe jumping on too. I think one one quick thing uh, to the one explanation you gave where people were saying, hey, oh, that industry is not very regulated, yeah. right? I, yeah. I got in a conversation on LinkedIn recently with someone in a comment section uh, and I, and I, I didn't take that stance, but I, I, I learned something, right? I took a stance of, Hey, we need more regulation. And someone made it clear to me. And I agree with him now that my stance was wrong. He said, we don't need more regulation. We need more enforcement of the current regulations. Right. Yeah. Well said. And yeah. so, and I, and I thought that was, uh, an eye opener for me. It's yep. like, yeah, we are regulated and we do have a lot of regulations. The enforcement of those enforcement of those regulations is what, uh, what's allowing, you know, some of the bad actors in this industry yeah. to kind of give us all a bad name. So we welcome more enforcement. No, I agree. That's, yeah. uh, that's a great point. I don't, I don't want anybody to think that I'm uh, not welcoming of the enforcement because quite frankly, that's what made us survive is by the bad actors being kicked out of this industry. So we welcome the the enforcement of it. But I, I guess I, I'm, I'm, I get frustrated be, be, and it's probably because of what you're saying. Because there isn't as much enforcement, people still perceive it as not being regulated. Yeah, exactly. That was my that was my point. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that's our episode for today. So right. I'm glad that we got to, we got a chance to talk about all these topics. Cool. All right, guys. Thanks we'll catch you guys next week. Thank you. All right. Take all right. care. Bye.